Before I begin, I'd like to talk about a topic really that I began a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I th the, and I thought that I, it really needs further clarification, and more details and so on, which I'd like to offer uh, tonight for tonight's year. But before I begin, let me just uh, dedicate this. <clears throat> this year should be a blessing, and uh, it should be for a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas, Yosef Ruvain, and Yeshaya ben Yisrael, uh, Benjamin Wolf, Ben Sfihersh, and Baruch ben Benjamin Wolf. Uh, this chus of the Shir should go for the hatzloch uh, uh, of these of these people and this chus for these people. <coughs> uh, what I'd like, I'd like to talk about tonight uh, is uh, certain very fundamental ideas. And uh, these ideas, in many ways, uh, have a great relevance in terms of what's happening today, as we will see. And, uh, but in order to understand many of the aspects of what happens today, you really have to go back to some of the fundamental ideas, as I've said in the past. Uh, so, let's take a look at Adamarishan. I've spoken about this before in the previous, uh, in the past, and so on, you know. But uh, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, be more detailed about these ideas. <clears throat> and uh, we know the first man, of course, was Adam Harishan. We know that. And I've, I've mentioned this before. Uh, what is strange about Adam Harishan is that he wasn't Jewish. It's obvious. So one would ask themselves, you know, why would the Russian do that? Why would he create uh, the first man uh, and not even be Jewish, because we know that there's a medrash that says, uh, <clears throat> you know, voracious, and that is that uh, the Russian created the world that uh, Yisrael would accept the Torah. That was the condition that the Russian made with creation, uh, Yisrael. So the interesting thing about that we know is uh, Israel? Well, who was the first one to be named Israel? We don't find even Avram Avinu was not called Israel. He was called an Ivri, which is a Hebrew, which is a description of a, 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 a nation. The first one who was called Israel, of course, is Yaakov Avinu. You know, so that's a long time ago. I mean, uh, Adam Rishon was created, you know, five thousand seven hundred and uh, eighty-four years ago. We know that because uh, that's what it is now. <clears throat> and Avram Avinu was, uh, he was 52 years old when the world turned 2000. So at least the beginning of Judaism, if you want to call it that, began uh, 2000 years after the creation of the world. So the question, of course, is what's the intent here? Because Adamarishan clearly was not Jewish. So, you know, it's like anything else, you know. Uh, if the reason why the Russian created the world is to do whatever task he had planned for by the Jewish people, so how do we understand that Adam Arishan wasn't Jewish? What are you waiting 2,000 years uh, to uh, begin the concept of, uh, actually the concept of Israel? Uh, and the answer to that, which I've said before, 
is that the intent of the Bershom was never to have a nation, uh, a specific singular nation. He wanted mankind, minhu anushi, that's what it's called. He wanted, he wanted mankind to do whatever his plan was. Let's call that plan the Avoida, whatever service or task. He wanted to designate people, you know, mankind. His uh, never wanted to give it to one nation, the Jewish people, or at that point in time was called the Hebrews. He wanted to give it to mankind, which makes sense, because why Jews? Why not mankind? So the question is, wait a minute, but Adam Rishon was not Jewish. But what we have to understand is Adam Rishon, even though he wasn't Jewish, believe it or not, he was a Yisrael, right? So we see that Adam Rishon, who is a Yisrael, that the Bansham did create a person who was a Yisrael at the beginning, which makes sense. So then what is the definition of Yisrael? A Yisrael is an individual that has a certain type of soul that is able to affect through his behavior all the upper worlds, the entire creation itself by his acts. Any person that can do that is called the Yisrael. He has a certain, certain type of neshama, right? And he's able to interface and effect all the upper worlds through his actions. That person is called the Yisrael, you see? Now, you could also be not a Yisrael, which simply means that you cannot affect anything above what you do on the earth. So in that sense, we will see you're not a Yisrael, because you don't have that power. So Adam wasn't Jewish, which means the power to affect creation, right, uh, was given to a Yisrael who's Adamarishan, but there was no such thing as Jews really then. Like I said, Aram Avinu was 52 years old, and he was the first Jew basically, although he was called a Hebrew. You know, when he was 52, the world turned 2,000. That's like uh, almost a third of the entire existence of the world. Uh, so that was good. <coughs> that the Bershom gave this ability and power to a person who had that ability, right? To affect, through his actions, the upper worlds. Now what that means is that the Bershom, which is interesting, which is really a whole topic in itself, what that means is that a, a, a Yisrael, an Israelite, if you want to call him that, right? He has the power to affect the universe, how? Because what the Rebbeinu does is he allows himself, that is God allows himself voluntarily to be or to do what the actions of the Israelite does. So when a person, when a, a, an Israelite, Israel, does an act which conforms to the will of God, then God will sort of like re-enter the, the universe. He will re-enter the physical world. And the Bershom does that because that's what he decided he wants to do. If a person sins, then God removes himself. He distances himself from the creation. So in effect, the power of a Yisrael, but let's call him Jew, but we know he's not Jewish. 
the power of this person is able to influence the presence or absence or the amount of presence or absence of God himself. That's an awesome power because when God enters creation and he gets closer to mankind, then all kinds of marvelous things happen because the Shefa or the divine influence of God is uh, infinite, it's beyond belief. When God distances himself from creation, then that leaves room for all kinds of bad stuff to happen. So this power that was given to mankind based on the voluntary desire of God to allow himself to be affected by this person, Jewish person, is awesome. It is the greatest power ever known. Since God is the greatest being ever known, the ability to influence his movements, his presence or absence, is beyond understanding. That is really what the power of an Israelite is, and whoever has this power. Today we know it's a Jewish nation. <clears throat> so this is a very important idea. The concept of uh, Yisrael, Odomarishan is a Yisrael, but he's not Jewish, or he's not Hebrew. Mankind has that power. Now, what's interesting is that power continued, you see, for 2,000 years until Avraham Avinu. Now, that's the first thing which is important to know. Second thing, wait a minute, but what God wants is that this Israel should observe the Torah. So we ask ourselves, wait a minute, the Torah was given, right, over 2,000 years, right, uh, let's say about 2,400 years after the creation. So why, if God wants mankind to observe the Torah, which is the will of God, why would he wait for, let's say, 2,400 years, only after the Jewish people got out of Egypt and Matan Torah was given to them in Har Sinai? Where is the Torah for 2,400 years? And the answer to that is a very powerful concept. <clears throat> what is the Torah? The Torah is an instrument that will allow a person who has the power of Israel to bring God into creation or to distance God from creation. <clears throat> but what's interesting is that the Torah, in the form that we have it, depends, this instrument depends on what you need to do. What does that mean? For instance, <clears throat> if I want to dig, if I want to plant something, right? So all I need is a, a small shovel. Small shovel is the only instrument I need because how big is the hole that I want to make in order to plant a seed? But what happens if I want to build a building? Then you need a derrick. You know, one of these humongous uh, things that can, deal, uh, that can dig a foundation for a whole building because the hole that you want to make is substantially larger than the hole that you want to make to put a plant in, in the ground. Uh, so clearly then the instrument that you use depends on what you want to do, you see. But it's the same concept, the same instrument, you see. So what the Barsham did is that Odom Harishan, Odom Harishan, when he was created, how big of an instrument did he need 
to bring God back? That is the question. You see, because we realize that the Torah is the instrument that determines the presence or absence of God in the creation. So the question is, well, how much, how big is the instrument that he needs to do that? Now what's interesting is Odomarishan at his time, the presence of God was incredible. And we, we cannot fathom what that means. But Odom spoke to God. Uh, the, the presence of God was all over. So therefore, the instrument called the Torah did not have to be so large, which means it didn't have to have 613 commandments. In fact, the amount of mitzvahs that Odom Rishon had basically was one. Actually, it was seven. Well, I'm not going to go into that medrash that says he had the seven, which, by the way, is a very important idea. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, the concept of the Sheva Mitzvahs, seven, what, what they really are, which I will repeat. But in any case, <clears throat> so he only needed a certain amount of commandments, and that is what the Torah is, because that tests a person's, you know, to what extent does he believe in God and so on, and do his will, right? So since the presence of God was so pervasive throughout creation, <clears throat> you see, then the amount of commandments that he would give to Adam and what Adam would have to do is very minimal. You see, but that mitzvah that he had, let's talk about not to eat from the tree, all right, and so on, that was the Torah, except it only existed in the form of one mitzvah because the presence of God was pervasive throughout creation. <clears throat> so therefore, it only needed, it only needed one mitzvah. But that was the Torah. Because like I said, the essential definition of the Torah is that it is an instrument, it is a device, right, that will advance or bring in the presence of God into creation. Uh, but depending on the absence of God, or depending on the, the, uh, uh, the absence of God, right, you know, it's called a hester. That's how big the instrument has to be. Uh, you see, that's very interesting. As time went on, when people sinned, so God removed himself more and more from creation. Ah, oh, wait a minute. If that's the case, right, then you need a greater instrument. You need more commandments. Because the mitzvahs have the power to bring God back into creation. Without getting to the whole meaning of it and how does a mitzvah do it and so on. <clears throat> So therefore, you, what would that mean logically is you have to have more mitzvahs, you see? So after, after Adam Rishon, what happened? You had the seven mitzvahs that had to be really practiced. One mitzvah wasn't sufficient. What you needed was seven mitzvahs. And then it got worse because mankind began to worship idols. So you need more. So that's why we find, by the way, that Yaakov Avinu and Avram Avinu observed 613 commandments, you know, without going into how they knew them, but they were not commanded to do that. You see, we know that certainly um, that God says, and Abraham observed my chukim, my mishpatim, my terrorists. What does that mean? That means Abraham, Avram Avinu, somehow knew the mitzvahs, and he was able to observe the 613 commandments. You see? And Yaakov Avinu, 
it says when he was talking to Esav, uh, when he was going to leave the house of Lovan and talk to Esav, he said, "Im Lovan Garti, I lived with Lovan." And the word Garti, Rashi points out, is the same letters as Taryag, six hundred thirteen, right? So that means that Yaakovinu observed six hundred thirteen commandments, and the question is why? But they were not commanded. He was not Matsuva, as they say. And the answer is because the absence of God and the introduction of evil was so rampant that you needed more device, a bigger shovel, as they say. You see? And then finally, when the Jews left Egypt, what happened? You needed a bigger shovel because there was much more tumor or absence of God called hesterponim, the concealment of God, in creation, so you needed then Taryag, 613 commandments, that was Metsuve, that was actually commanded. You see how Torah, not that it evolves, but you just need, it's the same fundamental device, but it needs, right, uh, a greater uh, capacity to undo the absence of God. The problem is, as time went on, you know, the absence of God became more prevalent, even more. But wait a minute, we only have 613 commandments. So that's why there became a new necessity to increase the commandments, right? But not in the form of a biblical command, but in the form of a rabbinical command. And that's the origin, the origin I should say, of all the, the uh, midrabonons, which called the takonis, the enactments and exeris, and the decrees. So the rabbis added on they made the device bigger by increasing within the spirit of the original commandments new areas, new commandments, which are rabbinical and they are not biblical because they realized that because the absence of God is growing stronger, the hester is growing stronger, you need more. You need more spiritual devices to bring God. And then of course, after that, it got worse. So then who added more commandments? Well, it's not the Bible, it's not Torah, right? It's not the Rabbanon, the Rabbinical. Then what is it? It's the community, the Kehila, right? So that's the origin of all the uh, Minhogim, all the customs. You see, those are the community uh, 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 commandments. So that's the logic of that. But you notice one thing, that Torah changes. Not that it changes, but it's as a device to do the will of God, it increases based on the hester of, the, of, of, of what's happening in creation. It's a very interesting understanding of why Torah increases in its commandments and so on. <clears throat> So here you have Odomarish, the first man, and he has the Torah as a device. Not only has the Torah as a device, right, but he's also, uh, because that's all you need, and so on, you know, but he, he is able single-handedly to do the Tikkun, you see. <clears throat> In any case, but he sins, and then Cain and Hevel, right, Cain kills Hevel, so that increases the darkness, and so on. Uh, and the, the 2,000 years of mankind, 
And by the way, they all have the ability to do the tikkun. And the tikkun means to bring God back. You see? Uh, because all mankind is designated as the masakin, as the one who will bring God back. There is no Jewish people. <clears throat> but the question is, what is there to do? And just to, to introduce you to certain ideas, um, God created the world using ten spiritual forces. And these spiritual forces are called uh, spheres. In Kabbalah, they are called spheres, these ten spiritual forces. But each force of the ten has ten forces, sub-forces, which are the same as the ten, except they are sub. So, for instance, the ten spheres, right? Uh, so, the, the, let's say you have uh, the first three. These are forces that can actually create reality because through those forces is really the power of God. These forces, which are called spheres, really have in them the Ein Seif. And that's the powerhouse. That's the fundamental element of these forces, is that they have the Ein Seif within them. And as a result of that, these forces are able to do, create realities. Uh, so there are ten of them. You have Kesser, Chochman, Bina, and those forces can create the future world. But then below that is another seven. Okay, you have, it's called Chesed, Gvura, Netzach, and Tveris, Netzach, Choyd, Yisoyd, and Malchus. So there you have ten forces, and within these forces is the Ein Tzayv, you see, and they create realities. <clears throat> now, each force has an Ein Tzayv, has God, but a certain aspect of God. So, in a certain sense, there are ten visions of God. Of course, there's only one God, but it's like looking at a person and you realize that person is divided. He has many different characteristics or forces, you know, aspects of himself. He's got a head, he's got the arms, a torso, legs, and so on. Same idea in terms of God. He has aspects to him that are only visible because we see each aspect as a sphere, as a force itself. Uh, now the idea then is, or the avoida, the task is, to do certain actions, you see, which correspond to that force. How many therefore forces, and therefore how much avoida really is there, right? So, you have ten major forces. Each one, like for instance, chesed, which is the third, fourth force, right? Chesed itself is subdivided into the same ten, from keser to what's called malchus and so on. So when you count it, ten times, um, ten, times ten, you're looking at 100 major forces, the original ten, and each subdivision of each one, which is ten, so 10 times 10 is 100. <clears throat> now, and remember, each force has some aspect of God. You see, even though uh, diff just different aspects of God. So therefore, <clears throat> there is an avoider, 
or there's actions that you do which actually correspond to different forces, you see? So if somebody does all hundred actions, literally, he will reveal all, all the aspects of God will enter creation and be perceived by mankind. <clears throat> but what's also important to know is three of the forces, which are the first three, Kesser, Chochman, Bina, they create the future world. But they are the root power of the bottom seven. You see. So the first three are called the Gimel Rishonis. The bottom ten, the bottom seven, because there are ten of them, right? From Chesed, Gevuru at first, Netzachod, Yisoyed, Malchus. These forces create, okay, the future, the, the, not the future world, but this world, Oilam Hazer. Oh, you see. So basically, there are seven major forces, from Chesed to Malchus, that create this world. Right? And on each day of creation, one of the forces were activated, and therefore, since there are seven major forces, right? So therefore, there are seven days to creation. Because each force activated itself for one day, so you have seven days, right? Because those are the seven forces from Chesed to Malchus that were activated, you see, to create this world. <coughs> But wait a minute, what is interesting is that each of those seven, like I said, each one has ten sub-forces, you see? So that means if there are seven, each one having ten sub-forces, so that's seventy. It comes out, therefore, which is interesting, that the totality of the actions that have to be done that will bring God into the creation is therefore seventy. So there are 70 actions or, or 70 types of service that have to be done to bring in those, all the aspects of God, <clears throat> you see. And now we understand why there are 70 nations. So what God gave is He gave each force one seventieth to one nation. Now if you take a look, <clears throat> the amount of people that are named in Bracious, Okay, and Noach are 70. There are 70 people because each one of them, there were people that embodied in themselves the root of that 170th force. And that is the origin of the Ayan Umus, the 70 nations. You see, and each nation has its own force, you see, that it has to serve or perform actions that accommodate that force and will bring down into this world that aspect of God. It's interesting. So there are 70 forces, 70 nations that uh, do this. That's a very important idea and that's why that's the origin of the concept of the 70 itself, you see, you know. And like I said, there's actually 70 names and these are the 70, you see. So that's the totality of the avoider or the actions that have to be performed by nations committed to bringing God back into the universe. You see, there are 70 types of actions. And by the way, which is also interesting, these 70 nations, right, have 70 different cultures. 
Do you ever notice a nation has a culture, it has a cuisine, right? Mexican food is very different, right, than French food, right? Not only that, French or France is very different than Mexico in terms of their art, the way they look at the universe, right? Their literature, they're completely different nations. They're all nations, right? But there are many different types of cultures. The question is, what's the origin of the culture? And the answer is, Kabbalistically, is that each culture of each nation is really a reflection, right, of that nation's attachment to the particular force that it has to observe and perform. You see? Now, we don't understand how that's concealed from us. But Mexico, as an example, its culture is based on the fact that Mexico has a certain attachment to a specific force of one of the 70. <clears throat> you see, and that determines its culture. So there are really 70 cultures that are connected to, right, its particular force. Very interesting. We don't see the connection, we don't see how. But that is the origin of the cultures of mankind. Because it's based on their root force that they have to accommodate to. Very important concept. But we do know, so Odomarishan had all 70 in him, you see. He was a composite of all the spheres. He was the only one that was ever created that's a composite of all of the spheres, you see. And therefore he had basically to do what? Since seven of them creates this world, that's why he had the Sheva Mitzvahs. Each mitzvah of the seven, right, is allied or connected to one of the forces. See, and that in a general sense corresponds to the totality of all the aspects of God. The concept of seven, which then has the concept of ten in each one of the seven, which then, you know, divides into seventy. You see, and therefore there are seventy nations with seventy cultures and so on. Uh, you see? So the interesting thing about this is if that's the case, right, if Adam had the seven, right, because he didn't need all the avodah, all the mitzvahs of the 70, because the presence of God was tremendously present, and you didn't need such a big device. By the time you got to Avraham Avinu, you needed all 70. You needed not only the seven originals, but each subdivision of the seven, means each one was divided into 10, Right? So you need the totality of the Avoida, which is 70, <clears throat> you see, which is an amazing concept, you see. So when Avraham Avinu took over the entire task of Odomarishim, which he did, you see, because God saw he allowed mankind to do the Avoida of the 70 for 2,000 years, but they were not doing this. So God decided that he's going to allow Avraham Avinu to take over all 70 to do the Avodah, to bring God into the universe. You see, all 70, which is amazing. And the Bnei Yisoscha, very famous Hasidic Rebbe, provides a tremendous remez, allusion to this. Uh, you see, because Avraham Avinu 
as one of the people living in the 2,000 years, he obviously was a root, but he only had one seventieth of that seventy. He's only one person. So he was granted a connection to only one seventieth of the spheres. But once he took over the entire job, guess what? He became connected to all seventy spheres. You see? So the B'nai Soscha writes unbelievable illusion where Avraham Avinu says, Onoichi, I am offer v'efer. I am offer, right, which is dust, v'efer and ashes. I mean, he was pointing out that he's a nobody. And he says, I'm only dust and ashes. Who am I? Well, if you take a look at the word offer, or, or rather efer, right, so efer is aleph pei resh which is Aleph Par, one ox. Now one of the things we're going to see is that the oxen of Sukkot, there are 70 of them, because each one represented one aspect of the one seventieth of the Avedah. And not only that, they really represented the Goyim, because each Goy, which is interesting, even though they don't have the power of Tikkun, because it was taken away from them, as we will see by Avraham Avinu, but each of the 70 oxen that was brought on Sukkot, right? The first day was 13, 12. It diminished by one. So you had 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. If you add up those numbers, it equals to 70. You see? Because they represent the nations of the world and the totality of the entire service or avoid uh, You see? So Avraham Avinu, so he says on himself, He says, So Efer is Aleph Par. I only had one ox. That's all I had. Because I was a member of the, two th the 70 nations. But guess what? After I made the covenant with God that I now have to do the Tikkun, I am what? Efer. I in Par. I'm 70 nations. The beautiful Remez. Well, he was saying, initially I was only one, one of 70. And now I'm 70 of 70. Why? Because I took over the Avodah. And that's what God said, you know. In you, you know, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you because you are now the source of bringing, you and your descendants are now the source of bringing me back into the universe. You see, so we now begin to understand many incredible ideas that the totality of the Jews who took over the mission of mankind is really as 70, you see? And Avraham Avinu took over the 70 portions, so to speak, of the, of the Goyim themselves. And by the way, and that's why when the Jews went to Egypt, you know, they had to go as a totality, the Jewish nation. So how many souls entered Egypt? 70. Isn't that interesting? There was really 69, but Yocheved was born when they were between the walls of Egypt as they entered the boundary of Egypt. She was born, so she was number 70. So the Jews were 70 nations, or I should say 70 people. That's how many Jews entered Egypt because each one represented one force to uh, to uh, d d to be the uh, ability 
to bring down the 70 aspects of God. And by the way, that's also the origin of many 70. Why are there 70 members of the Sanhedrin? Again, because each member of the Sanhedrin was able to see the justice of God to be able to rule one seventieth. So there had to be 70 people of the Sanhedrin. You see, that's also why there are Ayim Ponam Torah, why there's 70 aspects of the Torah, because each aspect is a vision of one aspect of God, and there are 70, so therefore there are 70 facets of Torah. That is also why there are basically, according to the Torah, 70 languages, Ayin Lashonis, because a language is also a reflection of a particular sphere. <clears throat> So this is very important ideas because it gives us the origin, one, of who are the Jewish people. So we now realize that Adam Rishon wasn't Jewish, but he was a Yisrael, you see. <clears throat> and not only that, we now realize what the Torah is, that the Torah started off basically as seven mitzvahs, which is the minimum. You know, even though Adam was commanded, the one that's most obviously prominent is the one of not to eat from the tree. Right? Uh, and we now realize why. Because the Torah does not have to be a device, right, that is so large. Because the amount of concealment of God's presence is very minimal. So it doesn't need more, you see. So that's the concept that the Torah gets larger in terms of its ability to bring the presence of God into creation. You see? And we actually see how the, why the Torah changes. You know, until today we have minhogim, besides rabbinical and biblical, we have minhogim and so on, uh, as part of the expansion of the divine instrument to bring God back, <clears throat> you see. So this is very important, this concept of the seventy, you see, and so on, you know. <clears throat> so th th these are very important ideas. <clears throat> So Avram Avinu, before the transfer, was just one of the nations of the world, you see. But all the people, those 70 people, had the ability to bring God back. They were all masaknim. They were all rectifiers to remove the absence of God. Except God saw, obviously, uh, that this would not work. They were not doing the commandments. So he decided to keep the Goyim, he decided to create the nation, the notion called uh, a Goy, a, a, a nation that's not Jewish. Uh, you know, and so, so therefore what's interesting is that the job of rectifying creation, which means to bring God back into creation, now became a Jewish or Hebrew endeavor. You see? Uh, so now only the Hebrews, Avram or Ivri, Abraham the Hebrew, they became the people who are Misakin and the rest of the world. They also remain spiritual because God did not want to take them away uh, the ability to have the future world. You see, because there was, a, I, I pointed this out a, a while back, uh, there's a major problem. If the whole world is created for the purpose of bringing God back, right? And if you can't bring God back, then the question is, why do you exist? Uh, you see, because you need a purpose. You need some type of a divine mission. You know, you, you, you don't just live here. 
And like I pointed out before, you know, everything that exists has a mission, has a reason. So the question is, if mankind no longer has the reason of tikkun, then why does it exist? There should only be Jews in the world, because they're the only ones whose actions will bring God into the universe. And the answer is that God did not want to do that uh, to non-Jews, goyim. So what he did is he left them with a soul, but not the same soul as the Jew. The soul of a goy is really attached to a Jew. That's why when the Mashiach comes, mm -hmm. you know, that's why many goyim will be connected to one Jew, because the divine flow will come through the nisham of the Jew, because he brought God back, and the goy, which is connected to his nishama, part of his nefesh in that sense, will then receive the flow through the Jew. It's interesting. Uh, and that's why it says that, I think, uh, you know, ten goyim, whatever, will be all connected to the garment of a Jew. That's what it means. But of course, they still can get Edom Habo. But there will remain a major problem. What is that problem? What do they do? Uh, so this is a, a very fundamental understanding of what is going on. Who are the Jews? Who are the Gentiles? And so on. And why are there? What happened? Now, the question that I uh, mentioned is a very important question. Well, then what's the purpose of a guy? He can't bring God back into the creation because he's not connected to all of creation. He doesn't have the soul that is connected to all the what's called five aspects or five realities uh, of the uh, physical world and the spiritual world. You see? So the, the question then is, if he's not connected, has to have a mission. You see? Uh, so that's where we see the original mission of Adam Rishon. The original mission of Adam Rishon was the seven mitzvahs. The Medrash says that he really had seven mitzvahs. Because like I mentioned, each of the seven mitzvahs, really in a mystical way, are connected to the original seven forces, spheres, you see, which creates the physical world. You don't need ten because we're not connected yet to the future world, Ilam Habo, but we are, do have seven because there are, you know, seven forces from Chesed to Malchus and so on. So Adam, really, his job was the Sheva Mitzvahs. So what God said is, I want the Goyim, right, to do the Sheva Mitzvahs, to do the Seven Commandments. You see? Because if they do the Seven Commandments, the Seven Commandments will bring them to righteousness. You see? Uh, the totality of the Torah, which is all 70 aspects, which the Jews have, that brings them not just to righteousness, that brings them to holiness. You see, so the job of a goy is to be righteous. You see, the job of a Jew is to be holy. Why? Because what God wants is mankind to be civilized, to be humane. You see, and all seven commandments, which I had mentioned previously, what they are, right? They are commandments that allow society to exist in a kind, gentle, and humane way. You see, but there is a condition that you have to observe these commandments because God commanded you. Since even for a guy, a guy, when he does the seven mitzvahs, it's not enough that he does it because it's logical. 
oh, you see, and it makes sense. No, he's got to do it, you see, because God commanded him to observe seven mitzvahs. And that's the spirituality of the guy, you see. So therefore, the righteousness of a guy also has to be, in a certain sense, spiritual. And that's really what their, their avoider is. Seven mitzvahs, you see. But the job of the Jew, since he brings down God, that's holiness. So that's why his job is to be holy. Where do we see this? Because in, in, in Sefer Vayikra, there's a parasha called Kedoshim. And what does it say? Kedoshim ti you. You will be holy. It doesn't say you will be righteous. You know, you'll all be tzaddikim and so on. Uh, it says you will be a holy people. Wait a minute. Holiness is very different than righteousness. You see? Righteousness is where you are the epitome of human kindness or human logic how you survive, you do chesed, kindness, you do mercy, you have justice, real justice, you're not bribed and so on, you know? And you do, uh, like I say, chesed, kindness to people, merciful and so on. That's being a human, you know, it's sort of like the epitome of being a human. But the Jews are commanded much more to be holy. You see, that's more than righteousness. What is holiness? Holiness is to be attached to God, you see? And then what happens is, when you are attached to God, you transcend being human. When a person is holy, he's, he's, he's no more the human that we think of. He becomes angelic, like a malach. Even though he looks human, acts human, and so on, right? But he's really a malach. He's an angel of God even though he's physical. And eventually, he will turn into, basically, a malach, and then be much higher than a malach, an angel, in the future world. So in that world, he becomes divine. Not God, obviously, but he will uh, have attached to him the property of divinity. It's a whole different understanding, you see. But we now understand the difference between a goy and a Jew. Uh, but they both have missions. You see, this is the important idea of what is going on in this sense. Very important idea. And it clarifies a lot of the, you know, what the purpose of mankind is, and so on. You know, tragically, what do we see? Is that uh, this has stopped. That mankind is incredibly evil. Not everybody, obviously. But, the, you know, the problem today is that everybody is both evil and good. Everybody. Uh, you know, so everybody's got the different proportions. You know, how evil are you? And how good are you? You know, it's very hard to find a person that's totally good. You know, and uh, it's also probably very difficult to find a person that's totally evil. Although there actually have been people that have qualified very well for a totality of evil. Uh, evil. For instance, uh, Hitler. Right? Here's a man that was completely evil, almost, because even he probably said hello to his mother, so that was a good deed, you know. But whatever it is, the overwhelming majority of his deeds were incredibly evil. And you have Stalin. I mean, these guys were butchers. I mean, these people were not they, these people were not human. If you think about that, they were the devil incarnate, clothed in a human form, and so on. You know.
But in any case, the problem is that there's an enormous amount of evil in the world, and so on. But I think we now have a clear understanding of what happened to mankind from Adam. Who are the Jews? What is their power? What is their mission? And the concept of a guy, a non-Jew, what is his mission? But his mission is also spiritual, because even a Sheva Mitzvah has to be done with the concept that he's doing this, not because of the logic that society will be able to be preserved, but because God commanded it. So that attaches himself still to performing the will of God. <clears throat> you see, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> so that's a very important idea. Now, one of the interesting things about that idea, we now understand that there are 70 nations. But guess what? Those 70 nations are distributed in two major divisions, right? 35 is one section, 35 is the second section. You add them up, there's 70. You see? <clears throat> because what did God want? Well, the question is this. We have the Torah as our guide, right? So we know what to do. God did not leave us, you know, bereft of guidance and a leader. Jewish people have always had a leader and we've always had guidance in the terms of the rabbis and the Torah itself is the basic guide. The question is, what about the Goyim? Who is their guide? So now we begin to understand the origin of two individuals appointed as guides to the nations of the world. Now, two or three weeks ago, I gave a whole shear about Yishmael. So Avram is now the Jew, or the Hebrew, that has to do the Tikkun. <clears throat> so all of a sudden he has two children, right? He has Yishmael and he has Yitzchak. You see, <clears throat> so the concept of Yitzchak we know is to carry on the Tikkun property of the Jew. What's the, what's the mission of Yishmael? And I mentioned before <clears throat> that his mission is to bring guidance to the Goyim in terms of the Sheva Mitzvahs. You see? And they're both born to Avram Avino to further the ability, you see, of doing the right thing. So I mentioned that that's the concept of Yishmael. And then, of course, you have, you know, uh, Yitzchak who gives birth to Yaakov and Esav. Well, lo and behold, they have the same thing. You see, and Yaakov and Esav, right? So Yaakov basically, actually, they were better because Yaakov and Esav were both of us. They were both patriarchs, which I had mentioned many times and given Shurim on that, that Esav was an of. He was a patriarch. As great, and according to one, uh, one of the rabbis, Paneach Raza, who was a Rishon, he, was, he could have been greater than Yaakov Avinu. And the Medrash says, if you remember, that had Esau done his job, right, uh, then he would have been, he would have had six tribes. Imagine that. And Yaakov would have had six tribes. <coughs> Shows who Esau was. But both Yishmuel failed. And Esau, they both turned away. They became evil. You see, even though their job was to go into the mankind and guide them in terms of the Sheva Mitzvahs. I see, 
And therefore, what God did is He assigned Yishmuel to Avram Avinu, so Avram Avinu could teach him what to do. He actually gave them the greatest teachers. To Yishmuel, He gave Avram Avinu, right? And to Esau, He gave, right, more. He gave Yitzchak, right? And He gave a brother, Yaakov Avinu. I mean, yeah, come on. Right? These, are, these, these are incredible models to follow. But both of them veered, and both of them became evil. Which is very interesting, because both of them, Yishmuel and Esav, have have Jewish roots. You know, Yishmuel is the son of Avram Avinu, no small matter, and Yaakov Esav is the son of Yitzchok and Rivka. Uh, you know, and not only that, he's as great as uh, Yaakov Avinu. So you, could you imagine what was the job of Esav? So the job of Esav, it says, Ishsadeh. He was a man of the field, you see? So, you know, some people translate that he was an outdoorsman. You know, he used to like to go out, you know, on the forest, whatever. No, Ishsodeh means his, he was a man of the field, means that his job was to go out and to, us, to remain righteous in, in the society of the Goyim and to try to get them, right, to be righteous. That was his job also except both Yishmuel and Esau became evil. They dismissed their jobs and they became Rishoyim. I mean, really Rishoyim and so on, you know. What is important to know, right, is that Yishmuel and Esau, in the end of time, will return. And we see that because Yishmuel himself did tshuva, because he allowed Yitzchak to precede him when Avram Avinu died. So Chazal learned that he did tshuva. You see, that he recognized, you know, that uh, that uh, uh, Yitzchak was greater in spirituality than he was. I uh, see in Esav we know, which is Rav Yavot Soy, the older will serve the younger, and I have spoken about this extensively, that he will do tshuva, and of course I've been saying that Trump is Esav doing tshuva, and that tells us that the messianic process has begun. But in any case, both will do, be, do tshuva at the end. And we actually see that. You know, we see, uh, we see uh, Trump trying to fight. So we realize that America has two things to it. It's the evil of Esau, right? The Rosh of Esau. That's a Democratic Party, and that's Biden and so on, right? And we see Trump, right, fighting them with so on, which you want, you want to call the uh, MAGAs, whatever. There's Americans at war with each other. We are really involved in a civil war. It's not military, but it's clearly social. And therefore, America is no longer the United States. It's the divided states. We are, in many ways, a very dangerous uh, time of America, you know, and which I'll talk about. God will not abandon America because America has done many great things. America is the greatest nation on earth in terms of chesed, you know, in terms of its, uh, it gives the kindness that it does, its foreign aid to so many nations and so on. And uh, the majority of Americans are really good-hearted and so on. It's just that they're led by a group of people that are incredibly evil, a bunch of communists that want power and so on. You see, and uh, so they're at war with each other, 
And we see also that Trump has actually initiated the Abraham Accords, which is going to bring Saudi Arabia together with uh, Israel. And they will dominate the Middle East. And once Saudi Arabia joins Israel, that's the end of the Arab problem. And as, as we will see, there will be a war with Iran because nobody can tolerate Iran having the atomic bomb, or I should say the hydrogen bomb. But in any case, so we have the Sishmon Esav now, right? What they should have done is guide and allow and, and, and be a leader to the nations of the world, you see. <clears throat> now, where do we see this? So I will tell you three places that the nations of the world are really under what's called the Hashpah of Yishmon and Esav, right? That they actually, through their original spiritual ability, actually bring tremendous amount of divine influence to the nations of the world. <coughs> Yishmon and Esav, uh, you see, you know, and uh, which is very, very interesting. And that's why many, in many ways, the world is really divided into these two religions or cultures. You know, you have Yishmael, which is Islam. You know, that's about two billion Muslims. And then the world is divided into Asa, which is Christianity. That's another two billion. You know, and then the rest is sprinkled with different uh, beliefs and whatever. But these are the two dominant forces in the world history. You know, Europe and the Middle East. And then you have America and Russia and so on. That's Asa and Yishmael and so on. Uh, so these two divisions of Yishmon and Esav is the dominant force of the nations of the world. And the question is, do we see this? And there, we actually see it, you know? I'll tell you what the Vilna Goyen says, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, when it's talking about Sukkot, so it's saying that there are 70 animals, Purim, oxen or bull, that was brought in the base Hamikdash on Sukkot. And I mentioned, first day was 13, next day was 12, 11, 10, 9, and 8, and 7, because there's 7 days to Sukkot, right? If you add up those numbers, you get the number of what? Basically, 70, and you see. <clears throat> now, in 35, in, 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 uh, in those 7 days, there are, there are days when you add it up that have 35, the Torah calls them seir, goats. Then if you look at the other days of Sukkot, it has 35, again 35, but it calls the animals that were brought with it seirizim, young goats. <clears throat> so there are th totally, there are 35 seir, goats, and 35 young goats, 35 and 35. And we know that those 70 animals, right, they represent the 70 nations. You see, so if you see that, so the Vilna Goyen says, Seir represents 35, but they represent Esav. Esav is in charge, believe it or not, of those 35 nations, which is interesting. Because that's the whole concept of Western civilization, which is Christianity. And then the other 35 is represented by Sirizim. And Sirizim is Islam, Tishmoel. 
So he points out, therefore, that the 70 nations, of the 70 nations now, are really under the divine uh, influence of Esau and also Yishmuel. Yishmuel has 35 and Esau has 35. Uh, so we see that as a very important concept. And like I said, the reason for that is originally Yishmuel and Esau were supposed to be guides and leaders of the nations of the world. Yishmuel and also, in fact, you see it by Yishmuel because by Yishmuel it says, and his hand will be against all the nations and they will be against him. Wait a minute, all the nations, right? There you are. Because his job was really to do what? Was to guide the nations. Instead, the Torah was giving you the prophecy that what? That he will be at war in many ways against the nations. So you see, his job really was, in many ways, international. And by Esau, he was an Esau uh, you see? So the problem is in both of these cases, instead of guiding and leading the nations, right, they became evil. But their influence over the nations remains, you see. So the Shefa, the Hashpah, the divine energies that come down, right, one goes through Esau, up to 35 nations, and the other goes through Yishmael, also 35. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, one of the interesting allusions is we say, Elu Barechev, these come with the chariots, Ve'elu Basusim, and these come with horses to war with us, Jews. And, and then it says, Vanachnu, but we, we call out the name of God. He's our protector. So these come with chariots, that's Esau, right? And Eila is Gematria, right? 36. Those are the 35 nations plus Esau. The Eila and these, also 36, that's the numerical value of Eila, right? These also, they are who? Susum, they are the Arabs, you see? Uh, so it actually alludes, how many nations are there in Rechev and chariots? 35 or 36, which is a 35 plus 1, which is Esau. And the other one is Susim, Eilib is Susim, and these come with the horses, it's a Pesachim Tillam, right? And we, therefore, uh, they will uh, challenge us, obviously, and we, of course, call on the name of God and so on. So that, again, is a remez to Yishmon and Esau, 35 and 35, plus themselves, which makes it 36, which is the gematria, the numerical, numerical value of Yishmuel, uh, rather, Eila and Eila and so on, you know. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> we see, therefore, that there are many, there are illusions that the one who is a, the leader of the 35 and 35 nations, which is 70, is Yishmuel and Esav. That's really who they were, you see. Cause, but it was their job to teach the nations and guide them because they don't have a Torah, you see, and therefore uh, that was their job. Therefore they still have that purpose where the divine energy comes through their spiritual forces of Yishmol and Esav and so on, uh, you see. Uh, but in any case, this is what we see in terms of Yishmol and Esav, you know. <clears throat> um, So we begin to get a handle 
on this, you see, okay, a handle on Yishmon and Esav as the two leaders that originally supposed to be the leaders, you see, uh, of what they were supposed to do with the nations of the world. And you see, there's also a great Makubal, the Megala Mukus. He says something also very interesting, the concept of that all the nations of the world, all 70, are really subdivided into two major sections, right? <clears throat> so the Brisbane Absorum, the covenant between the pieces, that's where God said to Avraham Avinu, I'm going to make you the patriarch, right, of the Jewish people, which we know means that you will take over the job of 70 aspects of the spheres and so on, right? And the way they used to make an agreement, a covenant, is they used to take animals and cut them in half and spread them, and then the two people of the agreement would walk between them. Apparently that's the way they sealed an agreement. <clears throat> so that's called the Brisbane Absurum, the covenant between the pieces. See, so what's interesting about that is in the covenant between the pieces, right, <clears throat> it says there uh, that Avraham Avinu took five species, but it says, and he took for himself, as kol eile, all of these, you see. So eile, eile is gematria, and he took for himself because God was now about to give him the totality of the Avoida. Right? And what is the totality of the Avoida? Seventy. And if you add Yishmol and Esav, comes out to seventy-two. So, and he took for himself all these, which is the totality of the Avoida. So Eile is gematria, numerical value of thirty-six. You see? Which is the thirty-five nations plus Yishmol. But then it says, as kol eile, all of these. So kol includes another 35. You see, so eile is the first 35. Kol eile, all of these, is another 35, but it's really 36. Eile is gematria 36. And that is not just Ishmael, it's Esau. So he said, in the actual, the Megala Muka says this. So actually in the Brisbane Absurum, God is already saying, you will take the Avoida, the work that should have been done by Yishmael, and Esau and the 35 nations, each one having 35, which is 70, you will take them, you see? So, which is a very fascinating remise of the concept that the nations of the world are divided into 35 and 35, all under the, uh, the leadership of Ishmael and Esau. And what is interesting, I have to point out, is did they, if that was their original mission or purpose, Yishmol and Esav, to be a guide and a leader to the nations of the world. You ever notice something interesting? Yishmol, the Arabs, they see themselves on a mission. Do you know what the jihad is? Jihad is the mission that the Arabs feel they have to spread their belief system throughout the world. What does that sound like? That sounds like the original Yishmael, what he should have done, except what he should have done then is promote the religion of God, Avraham Avinu, you see? But he has that inborn need to influence and promote his belief throughout the world. That's what jihad is. That's what they believe. And the second nation that has this feeling of 
missionizing is Christianity. Esav. And we know they, they've been missionizing all over the world. You know, all the continents, Africa and Japan. I mean, that's where they, you know, where they get this drive to missionize. Because that was the drive of the original Esav. They have retained the drive of Esav If you think about that, a man of the field. The problem is they're promoting the wrong religion. <laughs> that is the problem. <clears throat> but it's fascinating that they have the same characteristic to promote and missionize throughout their belief system, religion, throughout the world. Is that an accident? Of course not. Because that was their original mission, except it got distorted because they inserted the wrong belief. You see. <clears throat> so basically, we now begin to understand the formation of the nations of the world. How they're constructed. You see. How they are constructed their origin, what their mission is, what their history is, you see, what they should have been, and what they wound up being, you see. And it tells us, you know, that they are, if you think about it, in many ways, they're really most, uh, have at least half of the world's population between Christianity and Islam. And that they retain that property and so on, you see. So this is very, very important, uh, you know. Now the question is, now what? So we now understand that in many ways there are three segments of mankind. The first segment is Jews or Hebrews who took over the 70 aspects of the service of God, the Avodah, which originally we see, you know, was from Adam Rishon. We understand many things now, what the Torah really is. The whole concept that the totality of the Avedo, of the service, is really 70. And Avraham Avinu took it over. So they're the first nation, uh, uh, national identity. Then the second one is Ishmael. He took over, the, they, they took over the Goyim. But half, you see, and that's really when you think about it, what Islam really is. It's 23 or 22 or whatever. Uh, nations, they are the ma they are a major factor in the entire world, all over the world, not just in the Middle East, but in Europe, you know, in America, Muslims and so on, Indonesia, two billion uh, Muslims and so on. And the uh, third factor is Esav, which is Christianity. So we now understand something very interesting. You see that the world is really subdivided into those three major elements. You know. Now, there is another element, there's Asia, there's uh, China, and so on, and that's really Yefes. But he's really part of, somehow he's subdivided, you know, because if you think about it, uh, you know, Islam uh, rules India, Hindus, and so on. Well, Hindu is different, but, you know, uh, uh, there's the uh, Muslims in India, and so on, and they're all part of either Esau or Yishmael, basically. <clears throat> And also, I want to answer this question, because you're going to tell me, wait a minute, you tell me there's 70 roots or 70 nations, and Avraham Avinu took them over, and there's 35 under Esau, and there's 35 under Yishmael. But wait a minute, the United Nations has 193 nations. So what does 70 mean? And the answer is, there are 193 political nations. It means they are divided into different municipalities or nations. But in terms of the roots, the spiritual roots and how they're connected to the spheres, 
there's only 70. You see, except some nations really are one. Except politically, they're more. For instance, Switzerland. Switzerland is really part of Germany, uh, you know, and uh, let's say other, uh, you know, they're the Slavic nations, and they're really one root, except they're divided politically, they've become independent nations of each other, you see, like Europe, for instance. You know, Europe basically is, uh, was Germany, and then France, the Gauls under Rome, and so on, the barbarians, and so on. You know, they were originally one nation, one area called Europe. You see, even though now they're political differences and they're different nations, but, but the origin of these nations originally was one idea. They were the barbarians, the Germanic tribes that divided itself. You see, Britain is Germanic, Germany is Germanic, France is Germanic, uh, you know, uh, Switzerland, so on, you know, uh, Austria, they're all Germanic. So it's true that there are 193 political nations, uh, but there are only 70 nations that in some way are connected to the 70 aspects of God, which of course has its origins in the 70 spheres that created this world. So I think it gives us a handle on the origin of nations, you know, and that's very important. You see, because I'm, I, I'm going to explain next week you know, the concept that God is going, to, is going to take out the three major nations, the evil part, and try to restore the good part before Mashiach comes. And that's a very important idea. And what nations I'm talking about? He wants to clean up the evil of Esau. He wants to clean up the evil of Yishmael. And he wants to clean up the evil of Jews, by the way, that also have an evil part, and they are the heir of Rav. Uh, and as we will see next week, all three are being uh, simultaneously collapsing, which is astounding. Uh, and that's really what they are. Like I said, there are three sections, right? There's Yishmael, which are the Muslims, and then there's Christianity, Asa, which is Christianity, right? And then there's the heir of Rav, which is the third section, and they're all the uh, uh, sections of these three nations that split into an evil form. And before Mashiach ben Yosef comes, all three must collapse, because Mashiach cannot do his job with this type of evil. It's contrary, exactly, to his whole mission, which is to change the consciousness of the entire world. Uh, and that's why I wanted to give you the origin of all three and really what happened from the beginning of mankind until now. So in many ways, this is a very, hopefully, very eye-opening shear of what the origins of the nations were, what their job was, and I, of course I had to go into the whole concept of what the uh, Avoida is, who the Jews are, and what mankind is, who the Mauritian was, and that there's a subdivision even among the Goyim and there are three sections of nations, and so on. And we are going to now have a much greater handle, understanding that what is God doing today, because you, you mamish looking, the war of Israel, you know, and you have the, the tremendous uh, struggle with, with Christianity, Biden, progressives, uh, communists, and so on. Then you have the war going on in the Middle East, you see, and so on, you know. And uh, 
then we are going to see uh, a, a tremendous battle going on with the heir of Rav because of the scandal of the Israel-Arab war, which I will talk about uh, next week. Thank you.